Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. How are you doing? One of my favorite game shows of all time is The Price is Right. And there was a season of my life when I had gone to school for about a year and a half, getting general ed, and was not sure what I wanted to be yet when I grew up, and was still kind of trying to figure it out. And so I decided, instead of wasting time and money, I should just take some time off of school and figure it out. And so uh, I didn't take total time off of school. I kept uh, one rock climbing class. Uh, (laughs) So I was taking rock climbing, and I was working part-time, and I had a ritual during that season of my life where I would wake up every morning, have a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios, and watch The Price is Right and Family Feud Monday through Friday, every single morning. Um, Part of me misses those days. (laughs) Uh, Part of me does not. But during that season, though, I had a friend, and uh, his job was sending him down to Southern California for a short trip to recruit uh, college-age students uh, for a ministry that he was doing. And I had been involved in that ministry previously, and so he invited me to go along with him. And so I got a free trip to Southern California to help him try to recruit uh, students. Well, uh, down in Southern California is the city of Los Angeles, and in the city of Los Angeles is the CBS studio for The Price is Right. So I see here an opportunity for myself, okay? And uh, I decide, yeah, I'll go, and part of my going uh, will be I want to spend a day as a studio audience member in The Price is Right. And so I did. Um, We were down there for the day, and it's a huge process, actually, to get into the studio and be on the show. Uh, You have to show up at the studio at like 5.30 or 6 in the morning, really early. And what they do is they hand you a ticket, and they hand out more tickets than there are seats. So for example, let's say there's 200 seats, they'll hand out 250 tickets, because they want to ensure a full audience for the show, and they recognize some people are going to flake out. And so you go super early, they give out all these tickets, they don't cost anything, I mean, it's, it's free, and then you go back like an hour and a half later. So I go get my ticket, walk around Los Angeles early in the morning, just kind of killing time, and then I come back to the studio. And if you're there in time... Uh, if you're, it's basically first come, first serve. If you're there in time, you'll get a seat. If not, maybe next time. Uh, but there is another way that you can guarantee yourself a seat. And that's if you have a group of like 12 or 15 people or so. And, and then you're guaranteed. You like pre-register, but you got to make sure all your people show up. Because if they don't, you lose your guarantee. And then everyone's kind of up in the air on whether or not they're going to get in. So I come back to the studio and it's maybe 7.30, 8 in the morning, and there's a guy uh, wearing a bright yellow shirt um, with a huge face of a child on it, and it says, George is 40 on the shirt. And he's got a few extra shirts in his hand, and he says to me, hey, um, do you want to join our group for The Price is Right? (laughs) And I'm like, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. The story is George like me, loved The Price is Right. And he watched it growing up. And his, for his 40th birthday, he had friends all over the country fly to Los Angeles to be on The Price is Right with him. 
and from places like New York, um, Chicago, Seattle, I mean, just all over, these big metropolitan areas. But a handful of his friends, four of them, couldn't make it. And so they lost their group status. But if they could figure out a way to find four strangers to join their group, <laughs> it's a win-win, right? So I, I'm like, they're like, hey, you want to join our group? You get a free t-shirt and we have donuts. I'm like, dude... <laughs> This, this is an easy decision. And so I joined the group, and then they find three other guys that are brothers who owned a painting business in, like, Michigan, and they were there on vacation. So it's me, the painters, and George and his crew, and we're just, we're just hanging out. for it's, it's a long time. You're sitting there for hours before they let you in. And so just getting to know each other, eating donuts, having fun. And um, you know, I was just having the time of my life. And so we get into the studio and um, we're all wearing matching t-shirts for George, and uh, by this time, George and I, you know, we're tight. And if you don't know, the way the show works is they call um, random, I mean, they interview you beforehand, so they call people from the audience down onto the stage, and so George gets called on down to the podium, and so he gets not just to the podium, but almost right away, he wins the first bid, if you know how the show works, that means he gets up on the stage and gets the chance to win, like, big prizes, and so he's playing these games, and eventually, he gets the chance to win this huge, like, brand new Ford F whatever, 350 or something, just this amazing new truck with all the bells and whistles, and he's, like, playing, and, you know, me and the crew, we're just like, George! You know, we're, like, so excited for him. Um, Unfortunately for George, he lost the game, so he didn't get the truck, but he did walk away with an electric vegetable peeler. (laughs) I... I kid you not, this is an entirely true story. Uh, it was one of the best days of my life. Getting married and having kids beats it, but it's up there. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, and so I, I just loved it. Uh, okay, so I tell you that story uh, for two reasons. Uh, number one, I just want to relive the glory. Um, <laughs> but, but number two is to illustrate a point, And it's that... It is really good to belong. I I could have gone to the show, and I would have had a great time if I was just by myself, which was my full intention. But being part of the crew with George and his friends, I mean, just made it so much better. And the truth is, all of us want something like that. Uh, A little more seriously, that we all want to belong to something, a community, a family, something bigger than ourselves. And we want to identify ourselves with friends, and people who love us. Um, And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. We're going to be going through this series called Bridges. And uh, the idea is that a bridge kind of connects to different things. And so the hope is that uh, we would learn biblically what it means to belong to God's people, to belong to the church, and to be part of this community. Uh, Because that's something that we all need and want. Even if you're an introvert, even if you're shy and you enjoy alone time, uh, nobody wants to be totally isolated for their whole life. Uh, we all need somebody. We need other people. And so that's what we're going to be chatting about. And so for the next four weeks, we'll talk through four different bridges, um, and each one kind of being an aspect of what it means to be connected to the church. Um, we're going to start this morning by talking through church membership which might sound like kind of a weird place to start the discussion, but I actually believe it's one of the um, key factors in, in figuring out what it means to be part of the church. 
Uh, the way I like to think about it is, it's as if like you think about our church like a boat going down a river. There's a lot of people, uh, some of you in this room might feel like even if you've been here for a while, you're standing on the banks and you're not in the boat with us. And so we want to figure out how, to, how do we help people who love Jesus and want to follow Jesus get in the boat with us? How do we help people belong and join the crew? And so we'll talk through church membership today, and I want to start by asking uh, what might sound like a really basic question, uh, and that's this. Why did Jesus die on the cross and rise again? Now, how many of you would say something like, Jesus died and rose again so that my sins could be forgiven and I could be connected with God? How many of you would say something like that? I'm not trying to trick you. I would say that too, okay? Yeah, that's true. Jesus did die for that. Uh, But what I want us to see this morning is he died for more than that. He died for that and even something much bigger. So um, if you've got a Bible, turn it to Titus chapter 2. And it's going to be on the screen as well. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now verse 14 tells us why Jesus died and rose again. So Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So that's the forgiving our sins part redeeming us, bringing us back to the Father. That's what we all raised our hand for. It's true. That's one of the reasons Jesus died. And to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now this is one passage, but there are many others in the Bible where we could pull the same concept uh, that Jesus did not die uh, for a bunch of isolated individuals. He died for a people. He died not just for you, but for us. It is true that Jesus died for you, but it's more than just you. Um, Not to say that you're insignificant, but to say that you are part of something much bigger that Jesus came for. And this has been the way that God has always worked. God has always been drawing to himself a group of people in order to be a blessing to the world. That was his um, promise to Abraham, Uh, All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, it was a family that was being called that would become a nation that would be a blessing to all the nations. It was a community of people. When Jesus came, he inaugurated a kingdom. He is building one unified kingdom in which you as an individual join and become a part of. It's not just us, a bunch of isolated individuals like You know, there's a lot of uh, big corporations that are moving towards having a lot of their employees work remotely from home offices um, or maybe even small regional offices, but there's no real central location. And so the church is not like that where everyone just is kind of remotely connected to God but isolated from one another. Uh, That's not his intention. Uh, His intention would be one unified kingdom, one unified body together. And so... um, When you believe in Jesus and accept the abundant life that he offers you as an individual, you are transferred from what Paul calls the dominion of darkness and you are brought into that kingdom, the kingdom where Jesus reigns as king. And see, the gospel is a reality that is unlike any other. Uh, It is 
when we realize and believe that we are separated from God because of our own selfishness, our own rebellion against God, that we are separated and we have, in fact, become his enemies, that even though that is true, God, in an act of infinite love and mercy, sent Jesus, who was willing to lay down his life and suffer the consequences of our sin and rebellion so that we could be reconnected with God. When we believe that and that he rose from the dead, defeating the um, effects of sin, when we realize that Jesus actually is king and reigns and he has come from God to reconnect us to the Lord, that is a reality that when believed, when we place our faith in Jesus and begin to follow him, it's not like we put on some spiritual makeup and outward appearances and behaviors may change, but internally we're the same person. The scripture says we are fundamentally changed at the core of our being. It says that our heart of stone has been removed, a heart of flesh has been uh, put in. It says that we are born again. We are metaphorically a new person, a new creation. There's a transformation that takes place and the gospel changes us fundamentally as as to who we are. We are not the person we were before. And so when that happens, you are brought into this community, this ancient universal community of Jesus followers known as the church. You become part of that. Um, It's just part of that transformation. One of the ways the Bible talks about it is that our citizenship has been changed. Uh, My brother-in-law, is from Colombia. That's where he was born. That's where his family's from. He was born a Colombian citizen. Uh, But he wanted to join the United States Air Force. In order to do so, uh, they required that he denounce his Colombian citizenship and they granted him American citizenship. And so he is is no longer a Colombian in the sense that he has the rights of a citizen of a Colombian. He has the rights of an American. And in the same way, the Bible says when we have accepted Jesus, we have renounced citizenship in the world and we have embraced a new citizenship in heaven. And so when we join that citizenship, we join another country. We join another uh, kingdom. So the kingdom of God and the church, though, they're they're not exactly the same thing. Although there is significant overlap They're not synonymous. Um, The Bible, like I said, talks about us as foreigners and aliens. Uh, This is a huge theme in 1 Peter. It says that we're strangers in the world. So we are part of this new kingdom, uh, but it's clear that we're in foreign territory at this point. Uh, Until Jesus comes back, we are in foreign territory. And so um, I've got a few pictures here of uh, what... U.S. embassies around the world. So, Sylvia, you want to put up the first one? This is London. This is the U.S. embassy in London. Just recently built. Um, They had one before. This is the new building. The next one is Paris. Uh, We share this embassy with Canada. The next one is Moscow. And then uh, the last one I have, there's tons, obviously, but Kabul, which is in Afghanistan. Uh, The United States has embassies in hundreds of countries all around the world. And likewise, other countries have embassies here. And the point of an embassy is to represent its home country and to protect the citizens of its home country while in a foreign land. And the Bible talks about the church in the same way, that the church is like this kingdom outpost scattered around the globe, not representing any one geographical nation, 
but representing a heavenly kingdom. And so when Jesus came, he did come in order that you would be forgiven, but he came to inaugurate a whole kingdom rule. And he will fulfill and consummate that kingdom in his co- in when he comes back again. And until that time, churches like this one exist sort of like embassies scattered all around the world, representing our home country and protecting the citizens of that country, seeking the interests of Jesus, his kingdom, and his followers. And to f- so to follow Jesus, to believe in him and to follow him, is to become part of these people. The, the Bible does not have a concept for a churchless Christian. It just doesn't exist. If you were to try to go back in time and explain to the apostles, I believe in Jesus, I just don't like organized religion, and I won't be part of the church, that would make about as much sense to them as a square circle. It, it just, they don't have a category for it. It has always meant, biblically and for a lot of church history, that to be a Christian means I belong to this community of people. Um, The way that looks might have shifted, um, but it has always meant an identification with a group of people. The churchless Christian, consumer Christian thing that is really prevalent um, where we live, that's a pretty recent development in church history and mostly in the Western world, and particularly in the United States. But this community, it's not just that we're a community together. Um, the community is unique uh, from any other community on earth in that God himself dwells in the church. Um, so turn your Bibles, it's a few pages to the left if you had it in Titus. Uh, turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, Paul here is writing to uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, sharing with them the good news and some implications of what it means for a non-Jewish person to believe in Jesus. And so he says this. By the way, um, the you in this passage, all the times that it says you, uh, it is plural. So it's more like you all um, or y'all. So verse 19. Consequently, you all are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens, Okay, so there's this citizenship language that I was talking about. You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, so at this point, Paul's already given us three metaphors to talk about this community of people. Uh, He's talking about citizenship. He's talking about family when he says members of God's household. And he's talking about a building. You're built on a foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Jesus, you all, are too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I've got a picture here, Sylvia, you can go to the next slide. Of um, This is the temple, uh, what it probably looked like uh, during Jesus' time. This is the place in the Old Testament. You've got the tabernacle and then the temple, and then it's destroyed and rebuilt. But um, this has always been the place where God's presence dwelt, um, either by a pillar of cloud, fire, whatever it was, God's presence was associated with this building. And what Paul is saying is that now that Jesus has come 
and has inaugurated this new kingdom and creating this people, God's presence is no longer associated with a building, but the people are the building. God's presence is with the people. And it's key here that he does not say that his presence is with individuals. It is with us corporately as a group. So here, I've got a quote for you. Um, It says this, this is from a book called Exploring Ecclesiology, which is a, it's a book about the church. And it says, while an individual can worship God while alone, such a worshiper simply cannot experience the presence of God to the fullness in which he is ex- uh, encountered in the gathered church. So when we come together, God's spirit is present among us in a unique way that he is not present when you are at home doing your devotions. And I'm not saying, be clear here, I'm not saying that he's not present when you're at home doing your devotions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when we gather, he's present in a unique way that you cannot encounter him by yourself. But there's even more to it than that. Uh, Turn the page in Ephesians 3. Um, It's not just that God dwells among us, that God uses the church. Uh, I just got to read it to you. It's, this is one of the uh, most exciting verses to me about the church. Um, Paul's talking at this point about the mystery of the gospel, that for a long time, the fact that God would reconcile sinners, rebellious people to himself was kind of a mystery as how that was going to happen, who he was going to do that for. Uh, you know, a lot of the things just wasn't, it wasn't clear. People didn't get it. And Paul says, um, that he has been given this great privilege. Now that Jesus has been revealed, he's been given this great privilege of sharing the good news of the gospel with non-Jewish people and inviting them into the kingdom of God. And And in verses 10 and 11, he says, he gives the reason why God chose to do it that way as opposed to some other way. And so he says right here, his intent, the intent, the reason God chose to do it that way was that now, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, just think about this verse for a moment. God's intent was that through the church, I've got that underlined in my Bible and um, if you're an underliner, I would suggest you do that. It was through the church that the manifold, that means the multifaceted, the rich and deep and infinite wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And, he, and that was his plan eternally through Jesus. So think about this. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, my high school had a trophy case. I've got a picture of one. Most of you guys, if you went to high school, um, there was a trophy case, right? And it has in it um, trophies from the volleyball team or basketball team or whatever team to show, hey, we won a state championship or a regional thing or whatever it is. The reason those trophy cases exist is that students and faculty and whoever would walk by, see all the trophies that have been won, and think, wow, this school knows what they're doing when it comes to basketball or volleyball. The design, the reason a trophy case exists is to glorify the reputation of the school. The church is this huge trophy in God's case sitting in heaven 
so that angels and seraphs and cherubs and beings that you and I know very little, if anything, about would walk by, they would look at the church, and they would say, wow, God, you are incredible. You are infinitely wise. Only you could take a group of people like that and change them. (laughs) And change them so that they love one another and they love you more than they seek their own interests. Only you, God, could be that awesome. The church does not simply exist as a social club or even to meet relational needs of us, even though that's true, it does meet our needs and it is something that we need, but the church exists as a cosmic display of the glory of God to angels. Can you, I mean, just imagine this. There might be angels right now looking at us right now and glorifying God because of it. That to me is just, it blows my mind what God would do through the church. And Paul says that it is through us gathered that he does that. It is not only through your personal story, even though that matters and that is significant and that is part of it, but it is not exclusively that. It is us as a group. It is so cool to me that God does that. So, so Jesus died for you, but not just you. He died and rose again to establish this people for himself known as the church. And the church is comprised of followers of Jesus throughout history, throughout the globe, all of them, all of us, being citizens of this heavenly kingdom ruled by Jesus. And local churches like this one exist sort of like embassies to represent that kingdom and care for its citizens in the world. This church is indwelt by God's Holy Spirit in a unique way, and it displays his glory to the entire universe, to the nations, certainly, and then to the heavens as well. Now, believe it or not, there's actually much more that can be said about the church and the purposes of the church. Um, But for our purposes this morning, um, we'll keep it at that. And so I've got one sentence here that I try to sort of wrap that all into to help us understand what the church is. So the church is God's kingdom people living by his spirit and displaying his glory. We are God's kingdom people. We live by his spirit and we display his glory. So what does it actually mean to be in the boat then? What does it actually mean to be part of that? What does it mean to be a part of that church? So what does it mean to be a church member is what I'm asking. Well, first off, uh, what it doesn't mean is it does not mean that, uh, it does not mean salvation, The church is not what grants forgiveness of sins. It is not what cleanses a person. It is not what makes a person right with God. Um, That is Jesus and the gospel. That's, we talked about that earlier, that when we believe in Jesus, we are made new. The church has no power to do that. Um, Extending this embassy metaphor a little bit further, embassies uh, do not have the authority to grant citizenship to somebody. They have the power to affirm it, uh, but they cannot grant citizenship. Uh, That is another department. So the church, likewise, does not make you a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. It does not make you a Christian. It recognizes God's work in your life and affirms that you are, in fact, a new creation. 
that you are a new being, that you are a bona fide representative of Jesus, that the church membership is not what makes you a Christian. Secondly, uh, church membership is not, and this is probably what most of us associate with church membership, uh, it is not primarily voting on church decisions, on budgets, on bylaws, on candidates for leadership. Uh, Those are important responsibilities, uh, and that's a form that our church practices for church membership, but that is not the thing itself. Um, So don't confuse with the form or the method that we use as a church for membership with the thing itself. Um, Church membership is not really prescribed in the Bible. It's sort of like um, worship services. We clearly know that we should have them, and we have a few ideas from Scripture of what they ought to look like, but it doesn't tell us how many songs. It doesn't tell us what instruments to use. It doesn't tell us how long a sermon should be. Uh, It doesn't tell us the layout of the pews, Uh, or if you should use pews or chairs. I mean, it doesn't give us any of those details. Uh, And likewise, church membership is is not overly prescribed in the Bible in terms of the nuts and bolts of it. And so that's how I'm kind of sticking away this morning from talking about our particular form that we use, Um, although I'm not afraid of that discussion. I just want us to see that membership biblically, that belonging to the church biblically, is not necessarily that. It could look differently. Uh, Church membership is not about being part of the in crowd, not about uh, climbing some kind of social or political ladder. And this is becoming less and less common, specifically in the Northwest, but um, there are places in society and there are still pockets of places where to be seen as like an upstanding citizen in society, you need to be a member of a church. Um, that's a really bad reason to join a church. Uh, That's actually a really, really spiritually dangerous reason to join a church. Um, And while we are part of a family, we are like friends and we are a community, being part of the in crowd or some perceived social benefit uh, is a really horrible reason to join a church. Um, And last one that church membership is not and this is an important one for us to understand. Uh, church membership is not like being a member of pretty much any other club you can think of. Um, and I shouldn't even say any other club because the church isn't a club. Uh, it's not like being a member of the zoo or the Rotary Club or the gym. Um, the member- membership in the church, when we use the word membership, when I use it in the sermon, I am not talking about that. Um, so for example, my family, we are zoo members. Okay. Um, uh, that's not a great term for what we actually are. We're zoo consumers, okay? I have a membership to the zoo because my kids are entertained when I take them to the zoo, okay? I only have, I don't hate animals, but I only really have a casual interest in the zoo, what happens at the zoo, the animals at the zoo. I don't really care, okay? I, I'm a member because my kids like it. I'm a member, I, because I'm a consumer, and I'll just readily admit that, and I would guess that's probably like most of the people who are members of the zoo. Same thing if you're a member of a gym, for example. It's because it's more convenient for you that they would own those machines and operate those classes and do all the maintenance. It's more convenient for you than owning and doing all that yourself. And so you join membership in almost every other organization because there's some perceived benefit to you. And I'm not saying that's, I mean, that's just the way society works. That's fine, okay? But that's not church membership, okay? 
it's different, and it's kind of a bummer that there's the same term, uh, but it just is what it is. So that's not church membership. It's, it's not tied to our interests, um, like Zoom membership or gym or something like that. So being a member of a church, being committed to a church, it's not about salvation. It's not about voting on church decisions. It's not about climbing some social or political ladder. It's not part of a club or an organization. Uh, at the heart of church membership is your identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is not tied to your interests, but to your identity. And that is a key factor in understanding what it means to be part of the church. It is publicly and formally identifying yourself with God's people by committing yourself to a local expression of the kingdom to which you belong. It is publicly and formally identifying yourself with God's people by committing yourself to a local and specific expression of the kingdom to which you already belong. It's basically, if you want to use another metaphor, uh, it's formally joining the team and putting on the uniform so you can get in the game with us. So that's a lot of theory about um, what the church is, why church membership is valuable. Uh, What does that matter when you come here on Sunday morning, um, whether you choose this church or another church? What actually actually changes when you become a member of a church, when you formally... um, agree to commit yourself to a church. Um, And like I said, I'm intentionally sticking away from the nuts and bolts, but I will mention at least three things that it means biblically to be committed to the church. Um, First, and this would be true whether you're a member of Philida or you choose to become a member of another Bible-believing church like Summit across the way or Grace and Glory down the road or whatever other church, biblically these things um, ought to be part of your commitment. Uh, First, being a member means that you serve in some way. Okay, again, we're not consumers, uh, we're contributors. And I don't mean just financially. I mean you use your spiritual gifts, you use your um, time, your resources to serve the kingdom of God in a practical way through the church. That might mean plugging in with an existing ministry the church has, so, for example, it might mean volunteering at the zone here. Uh, it might mean using your gifts and talents to create another ministry that the church does not yet have. Um, I don't know exactly what it will look like for you, but it means that every Christian is a missionary in the sense that they seek first Jesus' kingdom and they do so in the community of the church. The church exists to ha- Part of what we do as a church is, hopefully, we help empower people to serve Jesus in a practical, tangible way in the world, in their lives. Each of these three things, by the way, will be another one of the sermons in the series. So I'm only going to like kind of touch on them, but we'll talk a lot more about what um, serving means. Uh, but for this morning, just think, if we're going to go back to the boat analogy, it means you're not just in the boat with us, but someone hands you a paddle and you start rowing. Okay. Um, second, church membership means that you are agreeing to support and follow the leadership of the church. That's a maybe uncomfortable one to say. You're just like, okay, I get another boss, yay. Um, That's not what that means. It doesn't mean mindless submission or being a doormat. Uh, It doesn't mean not not ever having a contrary thought um, or feeling or attitude. 
uh, towards the leaders. But what it does mean is that you would take seriously the responsibility, the biblical responsibility to appoint qualified, godly, biblical leaders and hold them accountable to their godly, biblical qualifications. That's part of what we do, by the way, in family meetings. If you've been to one where we like um, vote somebody in as an elder or we reaffirm somebody or whatever, that's, that's what you're doing. Um, and again, that's the form of how we do it, but I'm just saying part of what it means is you are involved in the leadership of the church in some way, appointing them, holding them accountable. Um, and then if they are biblically qualified, if they are godly, if they're not telling you to sin, then you submit to them and follow their leadership. Uh, the third thing that church membership means is community. And my illustration of the beginning of The Price is Right is really a, a really good illustration of what community could look like. Um, that was kind of like a fun, lighthearted one, but community just means um, that we are part of a family. I've been really camping on the citizenship analogy that the Bible gives us, but another one that is as pervasive or more in Scripture is the image of a family. Uh, when you become part of the church, you become another brother or sister in the one family of God. Uh, we're not just casual acquaintances, uh, but we actually have a vested interest in each other's spiritual health. So as a member of this church, I ought to care about how you are doing spiritually. Now, of course, we can't have the deepest, like most intimate relationship with everybody in this room. That wouldn't be feasible or even appropriate. Um, But it does mean that we have people in our lives who are believers, who are part of our church, who know us through and through, who pray with us, who walk through difficult seasons of life with us, who give us advice, who rebuke us when we need it. Um, It means that we live life together. We don't just congregate on Sunday morning, shake hands and leave. Um, We actually participate in each other's lives. And like I said, um, each one of these will be another sermon, and so we'll spend a lot of time talking about what that will look like and how our church does it um, later. But at least that's one thing that church membership means. So, you might be thinking, um, I could do all those things without being a member. I could do all those things without actually filling out the application and being interviewed, being voted on. I could do all that. Um, To an extent, I would agree with you. Uh, But not the way the Bible tells us to practice the one another. Not to the depth that the Bible seems to give us. Um, I don't think you can participate fully in the one another's of the Bible without formally committing yourself to a local congregation. And just a disclaimer, by the way, this is not a push to get more people as members of this church specifically and like just trying to raise a budget or something. If you feel like another church home fits you better, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, what I'm just trying to help us see this morning is the Bible wants us to be committed to a local expression of God's kingdom in some way. So let me close by saying this. The church is a place where you can belong. Where if you are a believer in Jesus, you do belong. You are part of the family. You can get in the boat, and we want to help you. And, and if you are here this morning, and you're feeling like, I've been going to this church a while, and I still don't feel like I'm in the boat, I just want to say, I'm sorry, we're trying. Um, we're trying to get help people get in. We're not perfect, but don't give up. Um, you do belong. You do matter. Um, church is a spot for you to live out your citizenship as God in God's kingdom 
and live by his spirit with us and display his glory with us. So um, if you're here and you're not a member, um, I don't want you to feel beat up. I don't want you to feel personally attacked. Um, I just want you to hear biblically what it means to commit to a church. Uh, A really good practical next step for you, if you're not a member and you're maybe thinking about it um, or maybe you have some hesitations, um, I would encourage you to read this book. It's short. Um, it's very readable. It's co- just called Church Membership, a real creative title, um, by Jonathan Lehman. Um, it's maybe $10 on Amazon. Um, but also, uh, I would be more than willing to chat with you more about church membership and what that means and what that looks like. If you are interested in becoming a member of Philida Bible Church specifically, um, I don't have the date off the top of my head, but in October, We'll, we're going to have a new round of recruits, if you want to call it that, whatever you want to call it. It's a membership class. Um, just indicate that on your Connect card. You can, you're going to need to write your name and contact info and just write membership, and we'll make sure you know the details of being part of that class and make sure that you can get connected. Um, but for now, let me pray, and then we will worship. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that through him we are called your children. We are welcomed into your kingdom where Jesus reigns as king. God, thank you that we get to become citizens of heaven and that our best days are always ahead of us. We look forward to the day, Lord, when your kingdom comes in its fullness. And we pray, uh, like Jesus did, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that part of the way that would happen would be through Philida Bible Church, through the people in this room, God, that we would not oppose your kingdom or oppose your will, but we would be willing agents of your kingdom. God, we just thank you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.